Hello everyone, I hope this finds you in good health. Welcome to Ha'igaret, or The Message, a unique journal of original and plagiarized Jewish thought in the merit of my grandfather, Benjamin Aryeh Ben Meir, and for a refuah lema, a complete healing for Esther Batsipora. This week's Parsha opens with the marriage of Yitzchak, Isaac, and Rivka, Rebecca. When she is reintroduced, Rivka is specifically noted as Rivka, the daughter of Betuel, the Aramean, of Paran Aram, the sister of Lavan, the Aramean. Why is this complicated intro needed? We already know who Rivka's family members are. And if she's being introduced like this, why not Yitzchak too? Rashi, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, comments that this seemingly superfluous addition is to specifically emphasize Rivka's merit. She was born to an idolatrous, immoral man, Betuel or Bethuel, and is the sister of another idolatrous, immoral man, Lavan or Laban and yet still turned out a righteous, kind woman. Later, Rashi comments that while Rivka is to be lauded, Yitzchak's righteousness is even more impressive. Why? He was the son of Abraham and Sarah, our absolute models of a righteous couple. Rashi explains that because he had to forge his own path of goodness, instead of just being like his father and mother, Yitzchak had an even harder task. There are lots of studies over many years about how parenting can affect adult functioning. And it's an endless research question, is it nature or nurture that determines our lives? A mixture of both, just one? Is it our upbringing or our biology? To say just nature or just nurture gives very little agency to children. And it feels like a rather fatalistic thought that what really matters in our development happens before we are legal adults. In reading about this Parsha, that's the root question. Do we have control over who we end up being? We learn, as mentioned before, that Rivka was righteous in spite of her upbringing. And then we meet Yitzchak and Rivka's twin sons, Yaakov and Esav, Jacob and Esau, born after many years of barrenness. Our sages explain that while she was pregnant with them, Yaakov and Esau fought within her. When Rivka would walk past a place of holiness, Yaakov would move around. When she would walk past a place of idolatry, Esau would move. If Yaakov and Esau were created by the same holy, righteous people, Yitzchak and Rivka, how could they both not be equally holy and righteous? How can we fathom that Esav was drawn to wickedness to begin with? The Rambam, Rabbi Moshe ben Maimon, or Maimonides, explains that there are two forms of spiritual service, the individual who desires to do only good, and the one who desires to do evil, but conquers his evil inclination. Yaakov was wholly righteous, while Esav was tasked with overcoming evil. We learn that a person who overcomes their evil inclination, their Yetzer Hara, is more meritorious than one whose natural inclination it is to be good. For example, if there's someone who loves to give tzedakah or charity, they're to be given credit for doing so, but someone who doesn't like to be charitable and still forces themselves to be, is to be given even more credit. So who knows, maybe Esav could have been even more righteous than Yaakov if he would have been able to overcome his Yetzer Hara. This idea of the greater the mountain, the more impressive the climber, is reminiscent of the previous point, that Rivka had to overcome so much to be righteous. So why isn't she more impressive than Yitzhak? That's actually not totally the question. Someone's nature of being naturally good or naturally bad can have nothing to do with their nurture or the people they're brought up around. Simply, it's complicated. The emphasis of the righteousness of Rivka and Yitzchak really says that those who forge their own paths are to be praised. Instead of making a life in the model of how they were raised, Yitzchak and Rivka made their own way. Yitzhak forged his own path of his specific goodness, and Rivka forged her own path of just straight up goodness. Mostly straight up goodness. We'll talk about that later. Like I said, it can feel fatalistic to say, if your parents didn't do such a good job, you're out of luck. 
there's nature, there's nurture, but then there's also choice. Both Yitzhak and Rivka accepted their natures and their nurtures, yet still made the choice to be righteous in their own ways. The cards can be stacked against us or for us, but either way we still have Bahira, choice, or free will. Reflect, where in your life did your active Bahira, choice, change the direction of how your path could have gone? And, do you believe we are determined wholly by nature, nurture, or choice? Later in the Parsha, Yitzhak returns to the land where his father Avraham had previously dug a few wells. The Plishtim, the Philistines, had filled them in, so Yitzhak went to reclaim them. When he goes to the first well, the Plishtim claim it's theirs now. At the second, they do the same. But finally, when Yitzhak gets to the third well, no one contends its ownership. Because there's no contention, Yitzhak names the well Rehovot, meaning spacious or wide. The text says, and he called it by the name of Rehovot, because Hashem has granted us space, and we can be fruitful in the land. Reflect. Where in your life have you felt divine space being granted? Was it in the face of conflict or something else? Wells are really symbolic. They represent the deep, hidden spirituality of Judaism, as well as anything that isn't apparent, things that are concealed or mysterious. Water is often likened to Torah as well. Yitzchak redigging wells once dug by his father is also symbolic. He digs the wells in the same spots, but gives them new names, names that are relevant to his experience with them. He is literally digging, forging a new path of sorts on the shoulders of his father's way. Reflect. Is there something that you've taken on that your parents began? Does any example of quote-unquote standing on the shoulders of your ancestors come to mind? Then, in regard to Rivka on the shoulders of her family, she has a little bit of a rebellious streak. When Yitzchak is close to death, she overhears him telling Esau that he will be giving him his firstborn birthright or blessing soon. So she hatches this seriously out of a mid-2000s comedy sort of scheme to trick Yitzchak into giving Yaakov the blessing instead. Rivka takes full responsibility for this plan. She fully believes that Yaakov is meant to have the birthright since Hashem gave her a prophecy when she was pregnant that, quote, the elder will serve the younger. So it's fine. She's so righteous. She's just following the, uh, the prophecy. But just remember that literally no family in the Torah or ever has ever been normal. So Yaakov gets the blessing and Esau then wants to kill him, which I honestly totally get. Yaakov runs to Haran, which is in modern-day Turkey, where he's instructed to find Rivka's brother, Lavan, Laban, and a wife. So we end this Parsha with Yaakov running under the cover of darkness. Actually, maybe he left early the next morning if we take the text literally, but I really like the image of him running with a backpack beneath the stars. A cliffhanger. More next week. Uh, But to review the three points that we talked about. One, is it nature, nurture, or choice? in life. What makes us who we are? Let me know your thoughts. I I really love hearing from you all. It's kind of the best part of doing this. Number two, where in your life have you felt divine space being granted? This is vague. It can be related to Yitzchak's experience of finally getting that third well, or can be any aspect of your life. And then three, when have you stood on the shoulders of your ancestors? I hope these questions have given you some food for thought. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please do rate, review, or subscribe. I appreciate it so much, and I hope you have a great weekend.